from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. We talk a lot on this show about the movement to electrify everything, including how we heat our homes, how we get from place to place. And to reach our climate goals, we need to install millions of heat pumps, electric water heaters, rooftop solar panels, and EV charging ports. That means we need to find people who are trained to install them. But what happens if we can't find them? This week, we've got a special collaboration with Grist, and our guest contributor today is a Grist staff writer, Emily Pontecorvo. She has been working to untangle this electrification puzzle in a feature for Grist, and she's here with us now to explain it. Emily, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me on. Okay, so I'm very intrigued by this story. There's obviously a lot of momentum around electrifying everything, but it appears there are some bottlenecks. So where does this story begin? So this past summer, I was in the Bay Area, which is like the birthplace of the movement to electrify everything. Berkeley, California, was the first city in the country to ban gas in new buildings, and that was back in 2019. Now dozens of cities have followed. And so while I was there, I talked to a lot of homeowners who had tried to electrify some aspect of their home, like switch to heat pumps or install an electric vehicle charger. Homeowners like Champori Rith. My name's Champori, and... I am a product designer at a company called Airtable, and I moved to Berkeley with my partner a couple of years ago at the end of 2020. We were just kind of browsing and ended up finding the house that we fell in love with, and then came the the joys uh, and tribulations of homeownership. Champori is not like a diehard environmentalist or anything, but he told me he's concerned about climate change and his new home uses natural gas. And so he wants to eventually go fully electric. Before switching out his stove or anything, he decided to start with getting rooftop solar. And it wasn't as straightforward as he hoped. It turned out that the, um, the number of amps that we have in our house didn't really support having solar panels. So that was why we were looking for an electrician was to look at upgrading our electricity. And and I didn't realize just how difficult uh, that would be. This problem that Champori was facing is common. There's this nonprofit, Rewiring America, and they estimate that something like 60 to 70% of homes in the U.S. are gonna need to upgrade their electrical panels in order to accommodate solar or new electric appliances. But when Champori started looking for an electrician, that was uh, very eye-opening. They were basically all pretty booked out pretty far in advance. I think I think one was several several months, and so that was very very disheartening. It wasn't just that the electricians were busy; the entire process just felt kind of backward. It's it's just hilarious because it just felt like you know trying to get your kid into like you know a nice kindergarten or preschool where you, like, have to be interviewed and do a lot of things just to get on the radar of these electricians. Oh, man, I can completely relate to this. So I moved into a new, older house about a year ago. And over the last year, we have been going through a lot of upgrades. We're re-insulating the house. We're completely rewiring the house. We've added heat pumps. We've replaced all the old windows. And so I've dealt with a lot of different kinds of contractors. And it's been really hard to set up the work because everybody is super busy. They're coming in, trying to assess whether the project is worth it. And I found an electrician who I really love who's helped me through this process. But they are so busy 
It's really hard to get on their schedule. So I can definitely relate to how tough it is to find the right electrician. Yeah, I mean, and I talked to a bunch of homeowners just like you, just like Champori all over the country who have had this experience. And that's what this sort of baseline demand for electricians that we have today. I mean, the switch to heat pumps and EVs has barely even started. Right. And this switch is very urgent. Transportation is almost a third of U.S. carbon emissions, and burning fossil fuels at home is another 10%. I mean, and now we have a chance to actually cut those emissions because of technological advancements and new incentives through the Inflation Reduction Act that was just passed. There's billions of dollars in rebates to help people make the switch. So the table is set for widespread electrification, but... It just won't be possible without more people trained to do this work. This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. And I'm Emily Pontecorvo. And this week we're asking, why are electricians so hard to find? And how do we build up the workforce to electrify everything? Faced with the surge of distributed energy resources, electric cars, and grid constraints, utilities are ramping up dynamic pricing. But the results are mixed. If utilities don't implement rates correctly or transparently, it could be a major roadblock for the energy transition and a headache for customers. On June 13th, Latitude Media and GridX will host a frontier forum to examine the imperative of good rate design and the consequences of getting it wrong. Register at the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com events. Clean energy and climate tech are policy-driven industries, and anyone working in this field touches local, state, and federal policy in a very real way. And that's why you should be listening to Political Climate, a podcast from Latitude Media and Boundary Stone Partners that delivers an insider's view on climate policy and politics. Every other week, co-hosts Julia Piper, Emily Dominich, and Brandon Hurlbuck cover the nuances of government funding, regulations, backroom negotiations, and the election, of course. Political Climate is a show for people who want authentic conversations and strong opinions from voices across the political spectrum. Listen at latitudemedia.com or subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. So I didn't just hear about this problem from homeowners. I also spoke to a bunch of contractors who, let me just say, they were not easy to get a hold of. They are truly swamped. But I met this guy, Boren Reyes. So my name is Boren Reyes, and I'm currently CEO of Voice Electric Incorporator. Uh, we currently have two locations, one in Oakland and one in Sacramento. Boren's young. He's only 28. He grew up in Guatemala and came to California when he was a teenager. And he first got introduced to electrical work in high school. His dad was a general contractor, and Boren would come to help out on jobs over the summer. At one point, this electrician that his dad worked with needed an extra hand, and so Boren started working for that guy, and it just set him on this whole new path. When I was about to graduate from high school, I decided that I wanted to do that for a living. Plus, you know, back then I was kind of thinking, you know, I want to make money quick. It was the easiest way for me to make money quick and eventually move out of the house. It was mostly about the money at first, but Boren came to really like the work, too. What I really, really like is you really have to be focused on it because literally it's a safety. Um, and also you have to be hands-on most of the time and also like solving problems. 
putting pieces together, what type of system am I gonna install? How am I gonna be running this wire? How am I gonna run this conduit? You know, why the customer is overloading the circuit? There are so many things that go with that. And that's why I fell in love. These days, Boren is busy. He's got 12 technicians at his company and he can barely keep up with demand. If we're super busy, and then we don't do any advertisement. If it's organic, we're getting a minimum of three to four calls a day. If we do advertise, at that point, we get up to 15, 20 calls a day. It's crazy because customers are literally looking for electricians every single day. And then now, before, you know, we're able to get to an emergency right away. Now we cannot. So we're not taking emergency calls anymore because we don't have the manpower. Part of the reason he's not taking emergency calls anymore is because he's got this new specialty. About a year ago, Boren entered a partnership with this company called QMerit. They send him new electric vehicle owners who need someone to install their chargers. And so now he's doing a lot of that kind of work. He says he's usually booked up like three weeks to a month in advance. I asked him if he could expand his team to take on more jobs, and he said it just wasn't possible right now. Because he's not just a matter of, hey, yeah, let me hire people. And then, because you have to go with them through training. And then so it might take you a month to two months for them to be ready to finally go out on the field, know how to interact with customers. And then they will not know how to um, execute the job right away. It, it might take them a year. So now it's going to take a lot of our resources to be focused on this job. Like, for example, we should get it done, let's say, within two days. And then now it's taking three days because my lead technician is taking the time to teach them on the field, which is the best way to learn, but it's literally taking time out of it. And it's cutting profits. It's, it's just really complicated. So is it like... There's nobody out there who, if you were just like looking for an experienced electrician, there's nobody out there that you could hire. Like it would, there's only people that are basically new to the field. That is correct. That is correct. Because all the all the people that currently know how to do the work, they're currently busy. I mean, if they're currently taken by other companies, and then now they're they're getting paid really, really good. Okay, so let me get this straight. We've got a lot of homeowners who want to electrify, but they can't find electrical contractors. We've got contractors who want to ride this electrification wave. They see it as a chance to grow and take on more jobs, but they can't find electricians to hire. So why don't we have more people coming in for these jobs that are in demand and pretty high paying? It's a great question, and it's one that I asked pretty much everyone I spoke with. A lot of people blame the fact that we don't really push vocational education in high school in the U.S. anymore. You know, there's just been this push toward everyone going to four-year colleges. Here's Panama Bartholomew. He's one of the experts that I spoke with, and he is the executive director of this nonprofit called the Building Decarbonization Coalition. We're seeing a graying of, of the workforce, and we're seeing all these people that have spent their career knowing how, learning the intricacies of how to install HVAC correctly, how to install water heaters correctly, et cetera, and they're graying out. You know, the, the the average age is 55 right now for an HVAC installer or a plumber. The I think one of the big questions is really, like, do millennials and Zoomers see the see a career for themselves in crawl spaces and attics doing this work? I mean, it's, it's some good work, but we don't encourage 
people to go into the trades in this country. You know, it's it's you should be going to four-year college and go and learn C++ programming, not working in uh, in the trades. This right here is such an important point because we need more people to do the work of decarbonization, and that means more boots-on-the-ground jobs. And we're seeing an aging workforce across the trades, in the utility space, in electrical contracting, in plumbing. And so we need to bring in younger workers, and we need more vocational opportunities. So as I've done a lot of work on our house, I've used that as an opportunity to teach our three-year-old about how important electricians, plumbers, and builders are and how they're doing the most foundational work in our society. So this is partly a cultural problem. We need people to be able to see this career as an option when they're young. We just need to to value it more as a society. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I feel the same way. I didn't have any vocational education opportunities in my high school. Um, And let's not forget that you can make pretty good money doing this. The median salary for an electrician in the Bay Area is about $90,000. And a lot of people make six figures. Sign me up. (laughs) Uh, But really, if, if I wanted to transition my career and suddenly become an electrician, how would I do it? Well, so... I learned in reporting the story that there are many different paths into the field. Um, For one, you can apply to a union apprenticeship program. Those are free, and they offer paid on-the-job training. It's pretty nice, but there is a test to get in, and there's limited spots. So some people go a different route. They start by finding a licensed contractor like Boren, who's willing to take them on and train them in the field. And then many community colleges also offer training programs. But this, I found, is where there's another bottleneck in this whole story. Yeah, we talked earlier about this obsession we have as a country with four-year degrees. So I'm guessing on the flip side, that means underfunding community colleges. Yeah, so those community college programs, they aren't exactly well-funded. But the other problem is it can be really hard for them to find people to teach the classes in part because of the shortage of electricians. In the Bay Area, this birthplace of Electrify Everything, the place to take electrical training classes is a school called Laney College. And the program there almost collapsed when one of the teachers retired this year. Before we get to it, we're going to take a very quick break. And then when we come back, we'll hear about what happened at Laney College and then explore some solutions to this cascading problem. Mark your calendars for June 13th at noon Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and GridX will host a live, interactive discussion on implementing modern utility rates. Dynamic rates are vital for motivating customers to electrify, adopt DERs, and embrace demand flexibility. Utility rates could make or break the energy transition. So how do we do it right? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, GridX CCO Scott Ingstrom, and economist Ahmad Faruqi for an in-depth discussion on the future of rates on June 13th. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com slash events. I'm Julia Piper. I'm Brandon Hurlbut. And I'm Emily Dominich. A little over a year ago, political climate took a break so we could focus on the groundwork of implementing America's biggest ever climate bill. 
the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm excited to say political climate is back. And I'll be joined by my two co-hosts to riff on the top political stories and insider scoops from state houses to the halls of Congress to regulatory agencies and even international climate talks. We'll explain how those developments are driving industry decisions today. Political Climate is a show for people who want authentic conversations. And to learn about how energy and climate policy is shaped within both political parties from the people who have actually helped shape it. So join me, Brandon and Emily, every other week, starting in April, for fresh episodes of Political Climate. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Should we go on, go on to your boat or? Yeah, that'll be the quieter place to be. Let me introduce you to David Pitt. It'll still probably be kind of noisy, so I apologize, but we'll see. We'll see how it does. Okay, that's okay. I can create a little atmosphere. <laughs> I met him on this old sailboat in the Oakland Marina back in July. He uses it as an office. And I wanted to talk to him because he was in the middle of finishing the electrical program at Laney College. He got into electric work almost by accident. At one point when I was just working various cash gigs, I was doing TaskRabbit and I was tutoring people and just things I could get quick cash. Uh, and I would just travel and was kind of a, a kind of a bum in my mid-20s. And then at some point, a friend of mine was like, hey, I saw this sign. You can volunteer install solar on a rooftop. Uh, check it out. You, you might like that kind of thing. He liked it so much that he kept going back. He ended up getting a job with the company. But he soon realized that in order to progress in this career, to make more money and do more interesting aspects of the work, he needed to get certified as an electrician. This is something I can really sink my teeth into. It's got a clear career path, which I couldn't say for some of the other gigs I was doing. It's like, okay, you're going to learn this skill and then learn to manage your own business. And then the sky's kind of the limit in a, in a way. So David enrolled in the electrical training program at Laney College. And when I talked to him, he only had about three classes left. But things had started to go south. There is this one teacher who is covering like six classes per semester and kind of holding the whole program together, and she retired. The deans were having a lot of trouble finding anyone to replace her. Suddenly, they weren't sure if the school was even going to be able to offer the classes that David needed to finish. I guess the worst case is Laney collapses, and I would look at other community colleges and push it back six months and probably be some paperwork nightmare of transferring credits and, and be a whole mess. But yeah, those rooms are packed too. I mean, the classes had 40 students in them. The Zoom meetings are, are just jam-packed. A lot, a lot of people are trying to get this training. I ended up speaking to the dean at Laney College over the summer. Her name is Alejandria Tomas, and she was definitely really stressed about this. So when I started in, in this job on um, in February of 2021, I think my third day on the job, I was already told that we have an issue in finding faculty members to teach in the EET department. EET stands for Electrical and Electronics Technology. It's been a known fact that a lot of our faculty members are doing are teaching more classes than than ideal. What? How did you feel when? You heard that you were losing this teacher. It was pretty. It was a pretty, um, it's a pretty scary moment for me because um, 
I know that there's a lot of hunger from students to learn these materials. Um, and I know that a, there's a lot of classes that we're offering. So for me to to lose a faculty member who's probably teaching five or six classes is pretty difficult. So it was a it was a panic moment. This is this is an issue for a lot of trade skills disciplines in a, in a sense that employees usually earn more when they work in the field than than they are in teaching. So it's it's hard to recruit for faculty members to our area. I think it's just made worse in EET because there's a shortage of electricians in the Bay Area. By the fall, she still hadn't found a replacement. Let's take a pause here for a second. I just need to get my head straight. So homeowners are having trouble getting electrification projects done because contractors are booked up. Contractors can't take on more clients because they can't hire. There's not enough trained electricians. And people who want to become electricians are having trouble getting through the training because the places where they're supposed to be learning how to become electricians can't find electricians to teach. Am I getting this right? More or less. Okay, so this is a giant puzzle. Seems very complicated. How do we piece it together? So there are a number of different solutions I want to walk you through. Um, and, you know, the first one is the story you just heard about Laney College. I think that points to a need for increased funding for community colleges so they can hire more faculty and pay them more money. What about the union path? We talked about that earlier. Don't, don't the unions train people as well, like through the apprenticeship programs? That's another really interesting point. So the unions have this robust training pipeline. They offer free classes, paid apprenticeships, and they can offer those because of union dues, but they can only admit so many people. And so I spoke to labor advocates who think we need to strengthen the unions. Right now, union electricians, they don't really do that much work on houses because they're undercut by non-union electricians who can pay their workers less. And I was told that if some of the public funding that was coming out for electrification had labor standards attached to it, that that could sort of level the playing field for the unions and help them compete for those jobs. And then they could train more workers. And what about people like Boren at the top of the show? He was talking about how he was doing some worker training too, right? Right. And so I heard from a lot of people that solving this also really hinges on involvement from people like Boren. And that's partly because, you know, they already know how to do this work. They're the people that will ultimately hire these workers. The obstacle there, as Boren talked about, is that training people eats into his profits. That's part of the reason he can't hire and grow right now. Panama Bartholomew, who you heard from earlier, he told me that one way to solve this issue might be to provide funding for this kind of training. Like, for example, the Inflation Reduction Act, it has funding for state energy offices to do workforce development. And some of that could be used to pay, let's say, half or three quarters of the wages of a trainee so that contractors like Bourne can afford to take them on. I am really curious about what contractors are saying about this carbon-free tech approach overall. You've got people like Bourne who are super on it. He's got this partnership with an EV charger installation company. But in my experience in talking to my electrician, for example, who's been really great, but also pretty skeptical of whole home electrification, it seems like there is a hesitance among some of the old school contractors about electrifying homes entirely or about EV chargers and heat pumps. So what is the spectrum of reactions that you're you're hearing? Yeah, I mean, I also heard a lot of stories about this. I heard homeowners talk about 
There are contractors who told them, like, you're going to need natural gas backup for your heating system. Or I also talked to some contractors who were kind of skeptical of, of electrification. But I think this hesitancy is something that California is really working on. I heard about this program called Tech Clean California, and a big part of the program involves training contractors on how to install heat pumps and other technologies. And so they're giving them information about not just, you know, how to install them, but what incentives are available and how to, like, sell them to customers. And so far, they've trained about 600 contractors. Here's Panama Bartholomew talking about it. And so there's a cadre of um, expert installers that are part of the tech team that are running different cohorts of uh, installers through full-on training programs about not just, you know, how to install this stuff, uh, but actually, like, why they should care that here's all the climate stuff, sure, but also here's all the policy stuff, like the writings on the wall that this is coming um, and you better get ready for it. California is going to be banning this stuff in seven years. So start the transition now when there's a lot of money and incentives going. Okay, so running down the list, we've got more funding for community colleges. We want to pay contractors to take on trainees. Potentially unionizing the work could could help. And then you want to make sure contractors actually know how to install carbon-free technologies. Is that, is that the list? Anything else? Well, I feel like we still haven't really talked about the problem that seems to be at the heart of this issue. How can we inspire more people to want to become electricians in the first place? When I asked Boren this question, he had an answer right away. Showing, uh, showing them how much money they can make, that, that is just the key. Because they can make just as much as, you know, an uh, engineer. They can make more, you know, than a teacher. They can, they can make more than, you know, a person that will spend their time, you know, three or four years in college. And then they don't see that. They don't show you that. Yeah, this is exactly what we talked about earlier. This is a cultural problem. It's a, it's a marketing problem for the profession. Yeah, I mean, the whole profession could use some good PR. I spoke to this one expert who works on workforce development. She's at the Interstate Renewable Energy Council, and her name is Laura Jean Davignon. One thing that they're trying to do over there is create resources for clean energy careers for schools and guidance counselors. And she was really enthusiastic about developing some kind of marketing campaign. Something that we very much, um, we industry, the Alliance specifically, would like to do is some kind of outreach campaign, you know, talking about energy heroes or some other messaging that resonates with people um, and just is conveying that there are a range of jobs. That's the kind of thing we really need to start to remove the stigma from these trade jobs. And it could even be trades focused. I don't care. And I have focus on clean energy. I think we'll have more luck if it does. Uh, you know, is a construction job sexy enough for someone or do they also want, you know, do they want to be saving the world? I love it. I can imagine these World War II era posters saying, become an electrician for the planet. Yes, totally. That's right. Tell your kids. Emily, thank you so much for joining us and for your excellent reporting on this story. Thanks for having me. Emily Pontecorvo is a staff writer at Grist. Thank you so much to her and to Grist 
for their collaboration. Grist is a magazine dedicated to climate justice and solutions, and you can go to grist.org to read Emily's feature. We're also going to link to it in the show notes. The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. This episode was produced by Alexandria Herr and Emily Pontecorvo. Anne Bailey is our editor. Sean Marquand mixed the show. He's our engineer. Original music came from Echo Finch and Blue Dot Sessions, and Sean Marquand made our theme. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm that partners with entrepreneurs to address climate change across a range of sectors. That includes advanced energy, food and ag, transportation and logistics, advanced materials and manufacturing, and advanced computing. Thanks for engaging with us on social media. If you want to comment on this story, hit us up on Twitter. Send us an email to hello at postscriptaudio.com or go on over to Apple and Spotify and give us a rating. It's hugely helpful. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Carbon Copy. We'll catch you next week.